God has said, you are free and you are to share the gospel with everyone. Then do we have the courage to suffer the consequences. 90% born in the church, raised in the church, saved in the church, married and buried in the church will never share Jesus with another person. I went looking for tools from God. And what I found was the resurrected Christ himself. Well, good morning again. We, we got everybody out of town, and so it's like the Terran show today. And I don't want it to be the Terran show, but, uh, but I, I'm glad to be here with you this morning um, again, my name is Taryn, and uh, I, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Nor, if you're new with us, you don't know this, though, but uh, Rick is our lead pastor, and he is out of town this weekend enjoying Thanksgiving with his family, and so I'm glad to step in for him and uh, get to preach for him today. But if you came today ready for this like, happy-go-lucky Thanksgiving message, I'm sorry. We're in the middle of this series, and uh, this, the insanity of obedience, that doesn't sound very Thanksgiving-like, does it? Uh, but it is. I think it's a good message any time of the year, and so I'm grateful to be here. Just a little bit about me in case you don't know me. I know I know most of you, but if you don't, I have a picture of my family, my, my beautiful family up here. This is my, my wife, Jessie. Oh, you can applaud for that. That's good. Yeah. My, my wonderful wife, Jessie, she's sitting here on the front row, and uh, then I ha- we have one, two, three, there's four, five, six, okay, seven, oh, seven, I was right, okay, so we have seven children, and, you know, in the, in the Bible, the number seven is a number that represents spiritual perfection or completion, and that's what I'm praying for, like, we're complete, we're done, no more. Uh, we, we actually thought, we, our four oldest, we thought we were done with our four oldest, and God called us back into foster care, and so this is something my wife and I, have, we've had the privilege of, of fostering many children, and our, our youngest three up here are, are going to be, hopefully, uh, prayerfully, in the next month or two, be all adopted, and so that will be an exciting adventure, so yes, yes. So... I need a lot of prayer, so if you can just pray for me a lot. No, no, but I, I just, I just want to see this. I want to share my life a little bit with you, and because uh, you know today we're talking about something that's that's very important, very important. We're on this topic, insanity of obedience, and I don't think there's any topic that sounds less exciting than being obedient. You can ask my children; they they don't like being obedient. Does not sound fun, but it has uh, something really challenging and really great, really encouraging to take. With it, I, I, I told the group we meet at 820 this morning and we pray together with a lot of the people who volunteer and serve in different areas. And I told them I've never been, uh, th- we've based this on, on this book, Insanity of Obedience. And I said, I've never been more ashamed of my faith and how I have not represented my faith well by reading this book. And I've also, I don't think I've ever been more inspired by it. And so this has been a challenge for me preparing this. And I just want us, uh, because of that, and because it's the right thing to do, we're going to start off with prayer, if you'll bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you've blessed us with, God. Thank you for this time together. Lord, I ask that you give me the words to say this morning. Let it not be my words, but yours, that any of mine would fall short and yours would ring true in our lives. Help us to leave today changed based on what we've heard. 
Thank you for your word that you have uh, preserved for us so that we can know more about you and more about Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So Rick started us off last week with this series, and he started really in Matthew 10. He talked a lot about that, where Jesus sends out the disciples. And it says that he sent them out as sheep among wolves. And I don't know if you've ever seen like a sheep and a wolf hanging out together, but like it's, it's an ugly scene, really. Uh, it, it, Jesus was sending us out to face persecution, knowing full well that we would, that if we were obedient to what God called for us to do, if we were obedient and telling other people about who Jesus is and how great Jesus is, that we would face persecution. Now, that looks different. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, there, there are in some places right now today, there are people in prison because of their faith. There are people who will be martyred today, which means killed because of your faith uh, today. Uh, this is happening. And, you know, I don't think the persecution that we face in the United States is exactly the same. However, we do face persecution and God may be calling us into different areas, but he, the, the point was, when you are obediently living out what God has called you to do, you will face persecution. And so he, Rick left us with this question at the end. It says, what can I do to avoid persecution? And it's really a rhetorical question because you can't do anything. If you, if you are a Christian and you are being obedient to God, uh, persecution is inevitable. You will you know, somebody will be hostile towards you in some way. And so today, Rick has asked me to, to kind of stay in this, but to, to approach it a little differently. And he wanted me to answer the question of, what stops us from living obediently? Of all the things that we face in our life, what is it that really stops us from being obedient? Now, this might seem like, a, like an obvious answer, because I, I think there are some things that are obvious about it. But I, I want to really dive into this, and I, want to, I hope this is encouraging to you. And maybe this will shine some light on some different areas in our lives where we should be living more obediently to Jesus. And so I've got three things I want to I point out today, three points that I think really help to stop us from being obedient. The first two, we'll kind of go through quickly and then really land on the third one. But if you have your sermon notes, they're in the back of the, the pews in front of you. I encourage you to follow along, read the scripture. You can fill it out, take some notes. But number one, what stops us from living obediently is we are too comfortable. It's comfort. We, we love being comfortable. This is definitely an issue in the States, in, in North America. We, we are incredibly comfortable. Our, our, we even tell our kids, you know, you want to go to school and you want to make good grades so you can go to college and get a good job so you can, you know, and make sure it's a good college. And if you have a good enough college or you'd make good enough grades and we don't have to pay for college, that's fantastic. I'm all for that. Uh, but then you go and you get a good job and you get that good job so that you can retire early and then you can really just be comfortable the rest of your life. Not that there's anything wrong with retirement, but I think sometimes we, we pursue with all of our lives, instead of pursuing Jesus, we pursue comfort in that place. Uh, I, some, there's some guys here that came this week, and all, all retired men, and they came this week, and I just appreciate them so much. It's our wise guys, or our wise men. I always call them wise guys because, you know... <laughs> You talk to them, and you'd call them wise guys, too. Okay, but they, they came, and they, they, they've been painting back in first kids, and they've been, they just serve. And I, I just love that, that they're using their time, the ample time that they might have to serve and build the kingdom. And so, But I think a lot of times we shift the other way, is we use our time, uh, we use everything we have to, to gain 
comfort. It's like I want to be as comfortable as possible. And if I have to do anything to make me uncomfortable, well, I, don't, I don't know about that. I don't, maybe that. I don't think that's really what God is calling me to do. And the story that I have that I think fits the best with this, uh, several stories or several passages really talk about this in the Bible. But this story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the story of the rich young ruler who, he had three things that everybody wants to be. He was rich, and he was young, and he was a ruler. That, that's it. Like, that's, those things are all good, right? And he, he goes up to Jesus, and he tells, he asks, really, you know, teacher, what can I do to have eternal life? I want eternal life. What, what, what does it take to get that? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. You need to you follow the law. You need to make sure you're, you're living this godly life. And he said, oh, well, I've done that since I was a boy. Now, Jesus has a way of, when he has a conversation with somebody, since Jesus is all-knowing, he sees behind the answer that is provided and knows that, well, I don't think you, you haven't been perfect your whole life, you know. And so he he calls out something in him that was really the struggle that this person was facing. And we read this here in Luke 18. It says, When Jesus heard his answer, he said, "Uh, There's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard it is. For the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot of implications of this story and a lot of things to dive into. But the part I want to really focus on, you know, like the disciples saw this and they were so amazed. They were kind of blown away by what Jesus said because to them and to a lot of us, we still have this problem this day. We look at somebody who is wealthy and we say, well, they're blessed. But in this culture, if, if you had a lot of money, it was because God has given you that. They, they knew that. They, they, they knew that's because God has favored this person and given this. And then Jesus says something very counter to that. He said, actually, it's, it's harder for you. Because, and I think the reason is because you learn to rely on your stuff. Your security is not found in Christ. Your security is found in stuff. <laughs> and that's, and that's just, it's just counter, you know, to what the Bible says, finding your security and stuff. My, my mom, she grew up in India. She was a missionary kid for 16 years in India. So all of her, you know, elementary through high school years, she was there. She came back to the States when she was 17. And people would tell her parents pretty often that, you know, we're, we're really concerned about you and your kids because they were very poor when they were in India. Now they, they had more money than, than, than locals, the natives did there, but they were still very, very poor. Uh, going without, uh, even by American poor standards, they were much poorer than that. And uh, while they were there, though, a lot of people would tell my grandparents that, you know, we just worry about your kids because they're missing out on so many opportunities that they would have if they grew up in the States. And I remember my mom growing up, she would tell us a story all the time. And she would always tell us, I worry way more about you growing up here where we have so much and we depend on so much stuff. And that's where our faith is found and that's where our foundation and our security is what's in our bank account than, than we did growing up in India. We knew we had to rely on God. And I, I think this is sometimes what just stops us from being obedient. 
is because we are, are so wound up in our stuff. And I know this is, this is the best time to talk about this, like Black Friday. It's like five days away, right? You're welcome for that. No, but, but I think sometimes, you know, we, we miss this and it stops us from being obedient. Number two that stops us is we is simply we are afraid. We don't know what God has in store for us. I mean, we know the things that are, that are laid out specifically in the Bible, but there's a lot that's not laid out of a very specific calling on each one of your lives that God has called you to do and wants you to do. And I, I think we're just afraid. We, we don't know. Like I, facing persecution does not sound fun. That's, that's not something we want to go after. That's, we, we don't and so we, we are hindered in sharing our faith and being obedient to that, even when we know we're supposed to, because we don't know what the outcome is going to be, and we don't know what that's going to look like. And the Bible speaks very clearly on our fears. Uh, there's over 300 verses that says, do not be afraid. Actually, the Bible, the only one that it says that we should be afraid of is God. That the only fear of the Lord himself. And so, and so uh, the verse I have to share with you here, Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This message was given to the Israelites as they were about to enter the promised land. If you remember, if you know the story, about 40 years before this, the 12 spies went into the promised land. You know, 10 were bad and 2 were good. You remember, remember the song from... Anyways, they, so Joshua and Caleb came back and said, no, we can take them. The Lord is on our side. And the other 10 really started a riot and said, no, we cannot do this. They're giants. They, they will kill us. And so Moses is, is telling them this, and he's reminding them. And it's really interesting what he says. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, uh, when you go over there, don't worry. We've been really practicing our martial arts or something. And it's and so like, we can take out these guys. What he says is, when we go over there, you don't have to worry. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous because God is with you. Just quite simply, God is with you. My children... We already established I have a lot of them. My children, uh, at, sometimes at night, so it'll be 6 o'clock, and it's, you know, right now it's dark outside at 6 o'clock, and I might have something out in my car, and I'll say, hey, will you go outside and get this thing out of my car? Will you, will you go do that for me? And almost all the time, they go over to the door and kind of open it and look outside. Now, my car is, is you know, 15 feet from the front door, but they see outside, and they're like, I don't know, it's dark outside. I don't, I don't really know about this, Dad, and so... Almost all the time, they come back and they say, uh, will you go with me? Right? Will you go with me? Because it's not scary when dad's there. Right? There's nothing to fear. And, and this is really what Moses was saying. So you don't have anything to worry about. Don't be afraid. And, 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 and God is going to be with you. That doesn't mean that it's going to be easy what God calls us to do. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be pain-free. That doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. We already established that. It does mean, though, that God is going to be with you through it. Uh, the, the things that you will face, the joy that comes from them will be greater than the things that you will face. But I think this is, this is our, our number two reason why we really struggle with being obedient to what Jesus calls us to do is just simply fear. And the third one, and I want to focus a little longer on this one. The third one is that we don't fully understand the goodness of Jesus. I just don't think we know how great Jesus is. I think we miss that pretty often. 
I love, uh, I don't know if you've ever read anything A.W. Tozer wrote. I would recommend it. He a lot of great stuff. But uh, one of his lines is, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The way we perceive God, the way we see God in our life is the most important thing about us because it affects how we see everything else. And I think if we really understood the value and how great Jesus is, we would be much more inclined to be obedient to what he has called us to do. The set of verses I have for this is really, I think it's some, some of the most challenging scripture in the Bible. Not challenging as hard to understand, but hard to really buy into, I think. I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of tough, so just bear with me on this, and, and we'll, we'll get through it. We'll read this together. In Luke 14, 25 through 33, it says, A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And we'll just stop there for a second. There's a lot in that. He says, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. If anybody else takes the place of number one, it's like, I, I, that's not what I desire for you. Now, this may seem a little strange to us because we, we don't necessarily have this in our country. We, I think we do at times, though, where uh, Jesus has separated families because one person believed. And, and I, I know that happens, but there are in many, many Muslim countries, uh, if somebody is converted from Islam to Christianity, uh, most of the time they are uh, really shunned from their family. And oftentimes they are threatened by their family. To leave Jesus. And Jesus is, is really saying, now you have to see at the beginning of this, he says a large crowd was following me. And so there were probably some people that were following him superficially. They weren't really following Jesus. They were following maybe what Jesus had to offer. Maybe he's going to feed us again, the 5,000. You know, like, maybe we can get a free meal out of this. And, and I, Jesus was saying, no, no, I want you to look. This is what it, it, it takes to follow me. By comparison, you need to have such value in me that by comparison you hate everyone else. Which Those are just very strong words. And then he says something else. And you must carry your own cross and follow me. Now we know that Jesus died on the cross. We, this, you know, this, is a, this is a story we've seen. But the cross really meant something to the people then also. I mean, to the Jewish people he's talking to, Rome was in charge at this time. And if a Jewish person or somebody that wasn't Roman committed a crime against Rome, if, if it was... Uh, weighty enough crime, then they would have to carry a cross through the streets to be crucified. And it was their way of saying, look, Rome is right and I am wrong. And, and so Jesus is saying, you, you, need to, you need to be willing to die for me. You need to be willing to give up everything for me. And this is, I mean, this is a bold claim. I, and, and today, you know, we don't have crosses around today. I don't know what this would look like today. Maybe he would say, you know, carry your electric chair around or something and wheel it around. I don't, I don't know what the thing would be. But, but this is a bold claim. You need to be ready to die for me. Because this is not, I don't want you to follow me and think that this is some easy ride. And you get, like, there, there are things that I'm going to require from you. However, it's worth it. He goes on to say, but don't begin, so don't begin following me until you count the cost. Now, he, he just told us what that cost was. 
For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And, you know, I think we look at this sometimes and we want to almost dismiss these words because they're so bold from Jesus. These are so, these are so bold. Uh, I mean, even to this day, very bold. And we almost want to look at it and say, well, that's a, that's a metaphor or something. And he didn't really mean that. Uh, I, I think... I think this guy says it well. His name is Norval Gelden Hughes, and I'm 100% sure I said that very wrong. But that's okay. Uh, but he, this is a theologian. He wrote a commentary on the book of Luke, and I, I loved what he said about this, this portion of Scripture. I thought it was very fitting. He said, The general idea that these words of Jesus about bearing the cross refer to passive submission to all kinds of afflictions like disappointments, pain, sickness, and grief that come upon man in life is totally wrong. In other words, if you think that what Jesus is talking about, to follow him, you can just passively follow him. And yeah, you're going to experience a little bit of pain and you might get sick and a little, you have a little grief here and there. If you think that's what it is, that's wrong. That's not at all what Jesus was saying. And he goes on. Only a person who, for the sake of his service, surrenders all self-seeking and abandons all striving after his own interests can be his disciple. Those are tough words. Saying what Jesus really did say, he was being serious about. I don't think Jesus would take lightly this issue either, that that he, he's really requiring everything of those who follow him. And, but I, I think the problem is, is that we, we don't really see that he's worth it. And so I wanted us to do this little exercise just to kind of break. I always, I always bring stuff just because I like, maybe I'm just looking for stuff to play with while I'm on the stage. I don't know what it is. But I brought this. Isn't this, this like the coolest scale you've ever seen? We had this laying around in First Kids. Who knew? Okay, so uh, but I, wanted, I wanted us to really go through and count the cost of following Jesus. So I wanted us, us to just look at some different areas in our life. Uh, maybe, maybe we haven't done this. I know it says everything, but have we really broken that down of what the cost is to follow Christ? Like I, I don't know if you have done this in your own life, but what does it really look like to... to to peer into my life, into the different areas and crevices of my life and see that, am I really giving this part of my life to Jesus? Am I, if I really given this section of my life to Jesus? So I just, I just want to start and we'll go through some of these things. And I've got this really nice looking bag here. But I've got these uh, coins. Now these are fake little plastic coins. But I, I've got these to represent the things because I thought cost. This, this is clever, right? You like this. Okay, we're moving on. Uh, but uh, so... Here are just some things that, that we have to give over to Jesus in order to follow him. I'll, I'll, just, I'll go through a little list here. Uh, number one, I think, uh, you know, our sin. You know, Jesus, he paid for our sin. So we give that to him. I think we're, we're pretty good with that one. You know, we'll, we'll give that to him. He already paid the price for it. He already bought that out. 
that's done. He takes it. He gets it. Uh, and then go a little more intricate here, but my coping mechanisms. So, you know, I don't know what the thing is. Maybe at the end of like a long day or work that you used to cope. And it, it's not that we, just, just to be clear, it's not like we can't have any of these things. It's just that Jesus is Lord over these things. So there are things for different ones of us, if it's not said specifically in the Bible, that God may still call from us and say, you know what, I see this as a weakness in your life. He has done this for me. I see this as a weakness in your life, and so you need, you need to be done with that because it's becoming Lord in your life. And so I don't know what this is for you. I'm just I'm going through some of it. But coping mechanisms, so at the end of a long, long day, we were, I was talking to this with my wife, and she was saying how her coping mechanism is she takes like a scolding hot bath. Like scolding, it, it's bad. And so, uh, but but that's her thing. And she said, I, I, "If I had to give that up, you know, I wouldn't be a happy camper." That's, and that's really why she doesn't go camping because you, 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 there's no hot water. So, and I don't I don't think this is one of those things. Like I don't think Jesus would call this from her, but he might. He might. He might call us to go somewhere and to live somewhere where there isn't hot water. We're, I mean, so, so maybe. So we have to be willing to, to give that up. Okay, my reactions. My reactions. So if I overreact, if I get really angry and really upset, if I'm towards my family or my spouse or a coworker, or whatever, like, I, I don't get to do that anymore because my reactions belong to Jesus, right? So everything. My, my preferences. Maybe you're somebody who likes to Stay up late and get up late. And maybe Jesus is asking you to go to bed early so you can get up early so you can spend time with him. I, I, I don't know. When I think of preferences, though, I think of, I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's Thanksgiving, but I think of white or dark meat. I'm, I don't know why. That just comes to my head. And who, who would ever pick white meat over dark meat? Anyways, that's, that's enough. We can argue about that later. Uh, and then my wants and desires. Now, again, this is a tough one. So put two in for that. Uh, this is a tough one because... You know, we're, Black Friday, it's coming around the corner. But Jesus might not want you to have that 80-inch flat screen. Okay? He, may not, he may not want you to have a TV at all. I, I don't know. And again, I, I really enjoy TV. Okay? That, like, this may not be something Jesus calls from you. But remember, you are saying that everything in my life I'm willing to give up for your sake. I'm willing to give over to you. My money... That's a tough one. Okay, my money. I, I think that's enough said on that. My hopes, goals, and dreams. Just, just there you go. Whew, that's that's a tough one right there. My hopes, goals. You know, you may be on a career path and then meet Jesus, and God may put you on a very different path. I have this conversation with you know. I showed you a picture of my family. My two oldest sons are eleven and twelve, and they like everyone who is eleven and twelve have the dream that they are going to be professional football players. And I've told them they got to start eating some sandwiches or something like they are skin and bones. And so you got to start, but, but I was like, you got to, but they don't even talk about it. It's right now when they talk about it, it's not an, if I become it's, Hey dad, whenever I'm a professional football player, I mean, you know, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And they, they know this is what they're going to do. And you know, I'm, I'm all for encouraging them to do that. And I'm like, that's great that's not easy and that's what everybody wants to do, right? But I, I've told them before and we have this conversation, I've said, you know, this may not be what God wants you to do. 
Like God may want you to do it. He may want you to do this and use this platform for him, but he might want you to do something very different. And my prayer for you is not that you're a professional football player. My prayer for you is that you are obedient when God calls you to do something. Because if, if you're doing something and it looks really good to this world, but it's not what God wants you to do, it's nothing. It has no value. It has very temporary value. So giving up hopes, dreams, and goals. And then uh, my scheduled time. Even my scheduled time belongs to Jesus. Uh, I hope you schedule out time with Jesus every day. Make that a priority in your life. But my, my time belongs to him. And just, you know, I said scheduled time. I think, I think that's actually a little easier sometimes than my free time. Because we're like, well, Lord, that's free time. Like, that, that's, that's for me. I like, know. Uh, so my entertainment, what I watch, what I consume with my ears and my eyes, uh, are, are those giving glory to God? So our time, our days, our nights, my, my health, my life. I can just, I'll just keep going. We'll go through some of these. My everything. Maybe that's if, just if there's anything left. And then it, it, my everything, but each, each moment of every day, day after day, forever, belongs to Jesus. And when you're looking at this, you're thinking... That's a lot of stuff. Like that, that's a lot. Like I don't know if I can even do that. I, mean, I, I, I think that. That's, that's, I don't know that I can do that. that. That's a lot that Jesus is asking of me. And again, I think this is because we don't see how wonderful, how great, how worth it Jesus really is. I, I don't even think I can explain this with my own words well. I want... I want Paul to say this for us. I love this verse. I think it sums it up. Philippians 3.8 says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Everything else is worthless. This is all garbage to the infinite value. So we, we can't measure the value of knowing Christ. So I tried to find something. I couldn't find something that was infinitely heavier just because that doesn't work, you know. Uh, but, but I tried to find something. I figured Jesus is, you know, he's our, he's our rock of our faith. And so I thought, okay, I thought I'd put that on there. But I, I was hoping that'd be a little more dramatic and stuff would fly everywhere. But that's okay. You get the point. Maybe I can throw some stuff later. But... I think if we could really see Jesus the way that Paul sees Jesus in this verse, that when we view all of this stuff, we see that this is worthless compared to knowing Jesus. You're like, but Taryn, my life is in there. I know. Like, compared to knowing Jesus. You know, when Jesus went to the cross to pay for you, like, he got the rotten end of the deal. Like, we didn't get the rotten end of the deal. He did. Uh, because he got us, and we're, we're, we're filled with sin, and we mess up daily. And, and I, I'm just telling you, that, and Paul got this. He's saying everything else is garbage in comparison to how great Jesus really is. And I think if we could grasp this, if we could really understand this as a church in our, in our individual lives, it would really change everything about how we see God. It would change our obedience how we react to God when God tells us to do something. My, my prayer for us really is, is this n- next line, is that uh, in advance I say yes. 
in advance to whatever Jesus calls me to do. Whenever, however, wherever, whatever, at, at whatever time, yes. Like, Jesus, you, you get it all. You win. You are Lord. Because you are so worth it. There's no question. But oftentimes, I, I think we're not obedient because we trade Jesus out for a, a really a cheap substitute. And, and, you know, it may even look really good to the world. It may even be that the world around us is like, you're awesome because you have this. And this is just not what Jesus calls from us. So my challenge for you this week is to really just ask, what area of your life have you valued over Jesus? What area of your life, when you've counted out the cost of following Jesus, you've just said, you know, I... I I'm good with a lot of this stuff, but there's this one thing in here that I'm, I'm really just struggling with. And that's okay. That's where, that's, where the, that's where the mercy and the grace that is very sufficient comes in, that covers us. But I'm going to tell you that in any area of your life, those things are worth it to trade for Jesus, for the infinite value of knowing Jesus. And I hope today you can make that. I'm doing something a little different today. Because Rick's out of town, so we can do whatever we want. No, uh, but I, just in the, in the, it's not that much different. In the back, uh, as you're leaving today, uh, after our time of communion, I've, I've put one of these coins back there in these little baskets, and you'll see how uh, plastic and flimsy and cheap these coins are and how worthless they are. That's kind of the point when you, when you take it. But uh, put this in your car, put it somewhere, put it on your fridge. It doesn't have a magnet on it. You have to tape it on your fridge or something, but... Put it somewhere where you can see it and let that be a reminder to you of what am I trading? What am I, what am I seeking on this earth? And what am I putting in the place of Jesus? Where am I finding more value on the things here than I'm finding on eternal things in Jesus? My prayer for you is that you see that, you're encouraged by that, and that your eyes are open to it, and that my eyes are open to it. Today, uh, I want to also encourage you, if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, I know this is a lot, but this is a lot more, okay? He is, he is totally worth it, more than I can even explain in words. And so today, I, I would love for you to make that decision. And it really starts with just a yes, like, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. We want to know about that. We've got cards in the backs of the pews that you can fill out and drop in these orange baskets as you're leaving today. But we want to be praying for you and, and to know about that. And then while we're going through our time of communion today, let this just be a time of reflection on what all Jesus has done for you. We're going to pass around the crackers and juice that represent Jesus' body and blood when he went to the cross so willingly on our behalf. And this will be a time we can just say thank you to Jesus for all he's done. Let's go ahead and close out with a prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for Jesus. That he so willingly came and gave of his life. That he traded everything that he has for us. It seems like such a poor trade. And we're just so grateful that he did that. And so we just say thank you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Your grace that covers our mistakes. That even though we mess up every day, God, your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for your faithfulness even in our times when we are not faithful. Help us this week 
to count the cost of following you, to know, to give up the things in our life that are getting in the way of following you, to remove anything temporary from our lives so we can see the eternal. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.